You're listening to Louisiana Insider, a superlative guide to a great state's destinations. Hosted by Errol Laborde, executive editor of Louisiana Life Magazine. It's not Louisiana song. It's my favorite melody. It's not Louisiana song. Hearing it echo through the cypress trees. talking about one of the world's great restaurants today. Uh, I say this with some authority because with uh, our our parent magazine, Louisiana Life, uh, during its history from time to time has done a, a survey of uh, readers and asking what's the most popular this and that throughout the state. In all ways, the restaurant category is Commander's Palace. And not just people that live on Washington <laughs> Avenue. I mean, people who live in in Shreveport or Ruston and all that. I mean, it has uh, widespread support. And uh, I think we're gonna, and two of the people who are key to that, we're going to find out. It's, it's really just quite a story. With me is T. Martin, who's the co-proprietor of uh, Commander's Palace, and Meg Bickford, the executive chef. Thank you, for, thank you all very much. Megan, let me ask you first, because uh, I was reading in, in your bio, and you used the expression... Uh, the dirt to table, okay? <laughs> and uh, I know the word dirt is used loosely here, okay? But the point you're trying to get across is that the food is really local. Absolutely. That's, um, thank you for having us. <laughs> um, and what a great way to start the conversation. Um, I think, you know, this Louisiana is called Sportsman's Paradise for a reason, right? Um, and having the opportunity to really explore that and celebrate that is something that means a lot to us because there is so much to celebrate. Um, so we work with local fishermen and purveyors and local farmer. Um, we have actually, I'll give a shout out to JV Foods, my buddy Tim, um, actually does a fantastic job of going to a lot of small farms and a lot of um, people who do things very small scale and introducing them to us. And so he's the middleman that allows us to do so much with very like unique and special ingredients. And um, so that's, it's just exciting that we get to explore those roads and meet those people and celebrate the food that, that our rich region. So is there that big of a scene of small farms producing the sort of stuff that's worthy of Commander's Palace? Oh, I think so. There's a, there's a gentleman in Cutoff, Louisiana, that still harvests his own sassafras. <laughs> and he grinds his sassafras, and we actually just got our uh, first batch um, because he does small amounts, and he does it only when the leaves are right, and then he's done for the year. And so I do my best to get my hands on as much of it as I can because it's like nothing I've ever tasted. He's from Cutoff because my good friends from there are so much fun. We call it Cut Up. <laughs> <laughs> and you're from La Rose, which is not... Next door, but it's kind of in the same part of the world. So yeah, so my mom lives in Cutoff, um, and my family is from there. And oh. um, but that's you know, it's just one of those things that it's like I wouldn't I wouldn't have known of the Tin Shed doing this amazing sassafras if, <laughs> if you weren't looking for it, right? What do you use the sassafras for? Uh, tons of things. Um, one of my favorite ways to use it is creamed collard greens, and to finish it with the fresh sassafras. Um, we use it to see, like, make crunches, like just fried shallots. But when they come out of the 
fryer, you hit them with salt and sassafras. It's just such a unique flavor, and it can be in so many different applications. Um, what is filet made from? So it's a very similar thing. So it's you have the root and you have the leaves. Of sassafras. That's correct. Okay. So filet is the root and sassafras is the leaves. And so I'm right, sassafras is part of filet also. That's then. correct. Okay. Yeah. And you use one or the other in gumbo, not both. That's very true. You know? <laughs> okay. yeah. I look at it as like a finishing salt. It's not salt, but I mean, that's how we use it. It's like an in move for a lot of applications, I guess, in a similar way yeah. that you would use filet. What are the very best vegetables available from southeast Louisiana or within 100 miles? Right now? Yeah. <laughs> tomatoes. <laughs> salad I had today. Tomatoes. Um, peaches from close areas, right? Alabama. Um, watermelon, um, which we're coming to the end of, kind Merletons. of. Uh, yeah. Um There's a lot going on right now. We're getting into gourds. I know it's incredibly hot outside, so nobody wants to hear that, but it's true. Figs. They're coming. Yeah. Figs. Figs. That was a blink of an eye this year, but absolutely. You put them up. We yep. still have them. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. And that's one of those things that's, we have very short seasons for a lot of things. A lot of it has to do with the heat and the, the rain or lack of rain. Um, so our seasons are very fickle sometimes, uh, but like figs were very short season this year. So we bought as much as we could get our hands of and jar them so that we can use them throughout the year. Yeah. I've had figs are important to me in life. I mean, me too. And, uh, <laughs> and I used to grow them and, and like I could have been like a, a fig factory, but nothing's happened. I mean, every year, you know, the fig tree comes, the little green things come out. Uh -huh. And we say, hey, there's going to be figs this year, but they, they just don't happen anymore. I don't know what's wrong. Well, I had I, we have a I have a tiny little fig tree at home. I think I got twelve figs this year. Yeah. I think it's more the birds than the tree. <laughs> I think yeah. the tree did well. The birds just ate better than I did. Well, twelve figs would be a victory at my house. Yeah. I mean, you, <laughs> I mean, it used to be hundreds, but it's, it's not. You know. Uh, and I always thought that that, that that figs' cruel joke is that when you do get them ripen, they always ripen like around the Fourth of July. It's like at the hottest time of the year. You're picking figs, and if you're preserving them, you go over a big pot, uh -huh. and you're steaming them, <laughs> you know. Yeah, they make and, you work uh, for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, they're really hot. But boy, later in the year, though, like when they're chilled, I mean, uh, chilled figs, they're really good. So. Absolutely. Jamie used to buy them from the kids in his neighborhood, because he would see them with them, and he would say, well, if you collect those, I'll buy them. They would bring them little bags of figs, and they called him Cook-A-Man. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't know what he did. They knew he cooked. <laughs> Cook a man. And he might come in with little bags of figs. Yeah, well, what's a good food? But I just don't know. I suspect they're not getting enough sun. I don't think we've done the right thing or something. But anyway, we're talking about commanders in terms of food. But, but one thing that's always impressed me about the whole Brennan's empire is the quality of service. It is so good. It is like the best that there is. Is there like a a secret book that you all have that you all get together and go over all the service techniques? or just Yeah, I can't tell you about it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, it's it's w much the harder part. You know, yeah. the, uh, the service part is the hard part. First of all, I object to the word empire. But anyway, we really truly believe we're as good as the last meal you served. And working on the service, you just literally have to work on it. And, and it, we, we do it in our lots of training. We have a thing going on all the time, but we do it a lot in the summer called Aqua Blue U, where we do training, you know, about all these things. But we also just literally talk about service and role model it in our pre-meal meetings. Like, Lally and I will literally 
model the body language. You know, you can either just brush up against somebody as you pass them by in the restaurant, or you can step out of the way and put your hand out a little bit. And I mean, it's just a world of difference. And so we all talk about that all the time. And But we do have steps of service, you know, and there's a manager in every room so that, you know, and the, there's food runners so that the waiters aren't in the kitchen waiting for your food. They're in the dining room in case you need something. And the runners bring the food out as soon as it's hot, you know, or Meg yells at them. Anyway, um, <laughs> and so there are there are systems to it. And it takes a little bit more effort, but not that much. Sure. Well, this explains, like, during the course of a meal, if it's a full service meal, that during the course of a meal you might have several different people who are serving you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, most people think, well, there's the, the server at the beginning, and that's who you get. But no, right. Right. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of different people. Yeah. I mean, we work basically in three-man teams, but then there's also the manager, and other, and then and it, everybody helps everybody. Right. But, you know, in your little area, it's your little world, and you got a captain and a front waiter and a back waiter. And it's a great system. Not everybody wants to do it. We think it allows a very uh, abundant level of service. Um there's and a lot of availability. Yeah. There's hands available. There's there's people right. available right. too. Which doesn't mean we don't blow it. And I mean, we are not as good yet as we were before COVID. Because I mean, it'd be like a football team that's been together forever versus, you know, you come back together, you know, you don't even know the plays yet, you know. So mm -hmm. we are getting there and working at it. But it's a real profession and you need people to get very serious. And, you know, we talk about professional grace. And literally how you move through the room. And I mean, it's great to see that people are hurrying and working hard, but it's how you go about it, you know? You remember George Rico, yeah, um, who was the longtime maitre d', whose grandson now works for us, by the way. And um, my mother used to say that George Rico could move through the dining room like a ballerina. You know, he's very much a man's man, but he was just graceful how he did it all and mm -hmm. how he anticipated. And so there are just, we, we, we work at it. But thanks for noticing, Errol. Well, I mean, if you're thinking... You you're not back to where you were. Any shortfalls are not noticeable. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. They're noticeable to me, sweetheart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, people say, well, T, oh, you know, we don't want to go out to eat with you or have you over. I'm like, and when I'm at somebody's house or some other restaurant, I just face the wall and I'm just so damn glad it's someone else's problem, you know? <laughs> um, because at my place, I see all our warts, all of them. Yeah. Well, can make, make a green. She goes, yeah, because mm -hmm. I got to hear about it. I you know, know. <laughs> I heard a story. Nothing I don't remember who, you. but somebody told me they hadn't they hadn't been for commanders for years. I think they lived out of town, and they called for a reservation. And they said, "Would you like your same table again?" <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, Good. That's, yeah. that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, and I mean, I, I say this all the time, Errol. If if we are just the best neighborhood restaurant in the world, everything else will work out. So we try to take care of our neighbors and our regulars and our locals, and we love the people that come to visit, but, you know, we first got to take care of all of y'all from around here, you know? I have one more service story to tell you, uh, if you feel mine. A few years ago, I was asked to go speak to some alumni association, you know, during the afternoon in one of the meeting rooms there. Anyway, I got there. I think it was like for 2 o'clock, and there was nobody there. So I waited, <laughs> and I waited. I was really getting angry, and it was funny. And it wasn't Commander's fault. It was the alumni associations. I mean, they were just running late. And so somebody on the staff volunteered to try to contact them and said, oh, yeah, they're touring. They'll be here in about an hour. Well, I was just furious. Uh -uh. Again, not like Commander's, right. but it's people. All of a sudden, the great late Jamie Shannon was still there. He came, left the kitchen, came up to me, and he says, can I fix anything for you? 
Now, here's this guy who's busy in the kitchen. I'm just a guy who's being stood up by an alumni association, <laughs> and he came and he offered to fix something. I thought, yeah. this is really, I mean, yeah. I mean, this really shows the class of the operation. Oh, thank you. Did he cook you something? I think I, I think I declined just because <laughs> be, just because I feared they'd come in and I'd be you know and, yeah but oh, I was so very I, grateful I, I mean I was really I was really touched by it well he's darling this one would do the same thing but you know I always say when I get freed up in the restaurant it's like three and you could starve in a restaurant three because you could eat like rue or mirepoix or something like that you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. whereas the other times I can go snack and do just fine yeah. but at three o'clock I'm like oh damn it that's not a thing. <laughs> Nothing's ready yet. No. Yeah. yeah. So that would have been hard for him to cook something, but he would have done it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I was just appreciative of the uh, of the gesture. By the way, it's very unusual what y'all have in the um, where customers actually walk through the kitchen. Yes. On the way. Yeah. And I know yeah. you have the instructions on the door, but does that bother y'all? Love it. Uh, y'all do. I love it. I yeah. Think, I mean, we're all here to serve, right? I mean that that is the point. The cooks cook the food. But the, it's so much more than that, right? I mean, they're, they're, they do that for a reason because they want to make people happy and they want to serve. And I think that far too often that can be forgotten in a restaurant that is one divided, right? When you have the front of the house and the back of the house. It's like, well, the front of the house, they get to see people and interact with our guests and enjoy in those moments with them where the back of the house doesn't always get to do that. And I think having an open kitchen allows my team to constantly interact with our guests in a way that reminds them why we're all here. Yeah. And they get that immediate feedback sometimes that people in our industry, when you're in the back of the house or the heart of the house, you don't always get. Um, so I, I love it. Yeah, I mean, we, it. yeah, we have a kitchen, uh, excuse me, a table in the kitchen. You know I mean? We do the chef's table three uh, nights out of the week. So it's, yeah, we, we definitely invite it. But more people are going to be coming through, Errol, because guess what? We are open. We have ripped out completely floor to ceiling in the patio room, and it is going to be the prettiest dining room in New Orleans. That's the room on the other side of the patio. Okay. So you got to come through the kitchen, pass through the bar, and then go uh -huh. to the patio room, which I've always loved. But um, I told Lally Brennan that I did not know you could spend that much money on one room. <laughs> but anyway, it's going to be very, very, very pretty. Um, and a little bit more modern, and um, we are excited about that, and that will open up uh, right at the beginning of October. Wow! Okay. Yeah, yeah. There's gonna be a lot more people walking through our kitchen. Yeah. I'm happy about that. And more to see. I mean, it's such a visual experience to be there anyway. Anyway, and so that. So Meg, you're from La Rose, and you grew up getting a lot of experience in kitchens, including at, at, at Commanders. What were some of the the experiences you had in kitchens just growing into the industry? Um, well, like I said, my, my mom's from uh, LaRose Cutoff area. Um, so I never lived down there, but I spent uh, plenty of time down there. Um, but growing up, I mean, I say that I grew up in the kitchen at Commanders, you know, but, um, but also working in kitchens is all I've ever done. So that started, you know, late 15, early 16 years old. Um, I was a baker. That was my very first job. Um, I was a baker in a bagel shop, and I had to be at work at uh, like 4.45 in the morning during high school, and my mom thought I'd lost my mind. And then she was like, okay, that's it. You, you should go to culinary school. If you're, if you're willing to do this, then this is absolutely your path. So um, I've had really great experiences and some, you know, not so great experiences, but uh, I went to school at um, Nickel State, the Chef John Fulce Culinary Institute, and that really 
was an amazing experience that's for me. The, that's John Foles. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I absolutely loved it. And um, John, I, I got to tell you that the day we announced Meg as the chef, uh, boom, I get a phone call from John Foles. He mm -hmm. was so excited <laughs> that one of his students, you know. He called and me I, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah. Um, so that was a phenomenal experience, and that, that led me to Commanders, and that really, you know, I had worked in plenty of other kitchens, but that to me was my first real professional beginning to my path, I guess I should Tell say. Tell that story real quick. I, I always forget that some guy gave me your... Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of my professors at um, Chef John Falls Culinary Institute was in school at the time getting his master's, I believe he was at UNO. And he was writing a paper on tea and called her and asked if he could interview her. And she, of course, said yes. And so they, you know, did their interview for his paper. And he handed her my resume, unbeknownst to me. Um, and so she passed it along to the kitchen at Commander's. And I got a phone call one night from one of the sous chefs and had no idea why they were calling me, but it was like, thank God, <laughs> thank God he did that because I don't know that I would have had the confidence to do it. Um, but that's yeah, that's how my career there started. <laughs> and who was the uh, the head chef at the time when you started? Tori McPhail. Oh, so I worked, yeah, I worked, and that was in two thousand eight. So I worked, um, I worked under Chef Tori for about twelve years at Commanders. You know, Tori was a chef for nineteen years. Yeah. Jeez. Jamie was twelve. Did, did, did you um, get to know uh, Paul Prudhomme very well? Or? Hell yeah. Okay. Um, he was just. Well, I know you'd have been a lot younger. I, didn't I know. was young, but we were just yeah. always around. And yeah. then as an adult, we created our own relationship. We would get thrown into situations together. So we just got to know each other. Uh -huh. but, and I had done some food products as a very young person and would go to him for help and advice and go over there and watch him. He used to record into a recorder before anybody had that mm -hmm. so that he could write his books faster. You know, and, and just get the recipes down without having to bother some other poor soul. Anyway, yeah, we were we were close. Uh, one of the last times I think he was in public, we did Top Chef at Commanders. And um, at, so the whole restaurant's closed, and he would look down. Every time they asked him a question, he would look down the table at me. And they would say, Paul, what year did... And he would just kind of look at me, and, and I didn't know what was going on. I did not know how ill he was at the time. And I would just go... Paul, well, that would have been about 19, you know, and I would just yeah. answer for him. Uh -huh. um, and that, because I, and I, I didn't even get it that day. I looked back on it and went, oh, now I see yeah. that. And then he really retreated from the public eye after that. So mm -hmm. that was hard. But, you know, he had um, a big mom had built him a bed in the back where the maintenance shed is now <laughs> that he could go take naps. I, I personally watched Paul take not a quart of milk, but what would you call that? have heavy cream and just drink it like you and I would drink a Coke. Drink mm -hmm. the whole thing. Drink the whole. Anyway, plane tickets were two first class tickets. I mean, you know, there was all that stuff. But the fun stuff was Paul and Mom, and Paul would give Mom a dish, and Mom would go, Paul, that looks like dog food. I mean, that is the ugliest thing. He, he would just say, taste it, Ella. Taste <laughs> it, you know? And she'd taste it, and she'd go, Jesus Christ, it's good. But can you make it look better? Anyway, so that was really Cajun and Creole crashing, you know, yeah. in the kitchen. Because, we, you know, we did not serve Cajun food in New Orleans before that. That was the bon ton. That was it. I mean, we did not do that. But Mom loved the flavor, and they just they just hit it off. Did you remember um, Peggy Fletcherich, Terry Fletcherich? Yeah. That's who told Mom to hire Paul. 
Really? She Jeez. was doing cooking classes with Paul, and Mom was moaning one day, I'm looking for a chef, and Terry's like, I'm going to have somebody call you tomorrow. And that was, Mom's like, thanks, Terry. And so... And where was Paul working then? That he was... He, I think he worked in some little restaurant in the French Quarter. You know, it was like the daytime mm -hmm. guy or something. And then they were, he and Terry were doing cooking classes a okay. little bit, a little bit, and that's how Terry knew him. And then he only agreed to come on in the daytime. You know, and then you know, mom started tasting the food and going, convinced him quickly to take over the whole thing because she couldn't stand the guy that was there when we took over the restaurant anyway. Mm -hmm. So, he's the one that whenever people name the chefs, nobody ever says his name, <laughs> including me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, having known him. From that early stage, were you amazed when his career just shot up and he became like a national star? I remember Johnny Carson asking my mother to be on Johnny Carson, and she said, no, but I got this chef. Mm -hmm. Now, that was not happening then. Yeah. yeah. You know, and mom thought that people should know the chefs, and she was a, one of the people in this country that really pushed that forward, that you people should know more about the food. We shouldn't call it trout meg we should tell you what the hell it is and maybe where it's from a little bit you know but we should list all that on the menu but you should know the chef and paul was everything you would imagine a chef to be right he was he, he looked the part right yeah. and he was on a mission to tell the world about the food from his humble beginnings you know uh, but the food was so good so she was pushing that so i don't I, for me it happened slowly you know what i mean mm. um i certainly wasn't Paul was definitely on that mission, though. And so, um, no, I wasn't surprised. Maybe I should have been, because the rest of the country... Yeah, I mean, that wasn't going yeah, on. Then. No, and that was one conversation with Mom and Paul about how can we make the best fish dish in the world that led to black and redfish. Yeah. So, anyway, I almost killed the poor damn redfish. Anyway, mm -hmm. Many years ago, we were in a, just for a long weekend in, in New York, and we and we're walking across the Brooklyn Bridge. And as we're walking... You know, during the process, you're walking next to different people. So this guy is next to me. He says, well, where are you from? I said, I'm from New Orleans. Oh. And he says, uh, isn't the food supposed to be pretty good in New Orleans? I says, yeah, yeah. And I said, um, I said, they have this chef over there. He's really popular. His name is Paul Prudhomme. I said, Paul Prudhomme? He kind of shook his head. He said, no, no, no. And they said, oh, is he the fat man who burns his fish? <laughs> <laughs> That's sad, because America did burn a lot of fish. Yeah. <laughs> <It was> sad. <laughs> a lot of burned fish. <laughs> okay, I'm going to say something. You said I can change gears when I want. She has not heard me say this, but she did a dinner the other night. with We do these dinners, the Meg dinners, yeah. um, where we shine a light we like to on some old friends or maybe some young chefs who haven't had as much publicity. Uh -huh. We just want to, whatever we can, to help. And just be friends. So this was a great young lady that used to work for us. Amy Mertens is now the chef at Coppervine. It's an excellent restaurant that I don't think gets the credit that it should. Anyway, they did this combo dinner at Commander's the other night. And I've thought about it so much since then. And I think it is the best meal I've ever had at Commander's Palace. And I think it might be the best meal I've ever had. And you've had a lot of good meals. <laughs> I have not said that to her before. Yeah. And, and, and what was there was the, not one thing wrong with that meal. And what, what? was the, the entree? There it is. There it is. You have it? Uh-huh. Yeah, but... Show it to him or tell I him about it. I don't know how to accept that information. This is a podcast. Visions don't well, that, well. Oh, man. Oh, that was the best meal I've ever had. Oh, well, that's awesome. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. I was very happy with it, yeah. but it was a lot of fun. 
it's awesome so, when it's your friend. So the main dish. Yeah, it is. It I mean, am I reading this right? Uh, well, there's several main courses, but uh, bone marrow crusted redfish. Yeah. Okay. So what does the bone marrow bring to the dish? Oh, it's bone marrow. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean the the idea. Well, no, marrow's in a lot of we, a lot of dishes, so it's not. Yeah. So we, I, you know, roasted some femur bones and pulled out all the bone marrow that was roasted, so it's caramelized, you know, um, and mixed that with like an herb puree and some panko breadcrumbs, and we. We shingled it over fillets of redfish, and we roasted it. So as the as the fish is roasting, and that crust, the marrow out of the crust is starting to melt over the fish. So it almost like steams, right? And the fat is just basting the fish as it roasts. I mean, it's. Ooh, well, I wanted to tell good. you about the spinalis dish, but I have to say this: we're calling. You know, we for a long time have called the food that we do oat creole. We're just trying to say, you know, elevated creole, but. I'm calling, and Meg and I are calling what she's doing now new oat creole. And I think that she's forging new paths. We're always trying to be on the leading edge, always have. But she's really pushing that. And I want you to know that I think this is one of, in my lifetime, or maybe ever, the four most exciting times in the history of food in New Orleans. And I won't spare you all of that. But right now is an extremely exciting time in food in New Orleans all over this city. But... Meg is right in there leading the way. And this food, we just keep evolving it to incorporate, which is exactly what we should do in this area. We should never stop and say, this is it. That's the end. This is Creole. This is Cajun. This is New Orleans. So we keep going. So now the influences are coming from the influences that are around us, as it should. And, and, and you see that in the food that she's doing, whether it's Vietnamese or a little Honduran. Honduran. But yeah. tell them about that spinalis. So, well, the spinalis itself is something that's really cool. It's it's not a local thing because it's Iberico pork. So, and that, I have never had Iberico outside of Iberico ham. So this is fresh Iberico pork that we're getting from Spain. Um, and it's incredible. So it's pluma cut, so it's just the spinalis, which is my favorite cut. I mean, that's what I want. I want, I want all the fat and the beautiful marbling. Um, but with that, incredible pork that doesn't need much. I mean, salt and pepper and on the grill and charred really well and all the fat gets all, you know. Um, but roasted garlic whipped Creole cream cheese, which um, I, since starting at Commander's Palace, oh, 15 years ago, have absolutely loved Creole cream cheese and have heard plenty of stories about how, you know, it it almost went away. And thank it goodness. It did go to, away. It did go away. And thank, thank goodness to Ella and her team for fighting to bring it back, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. and so it's kind of that creating a demand for something that yeah. we lost. Yeah. And so I now my team and I have fully embraced that. And it's Creole cream cheese that we make at Commanders is not just for cheesecakes. I mean, we the w <laughs> the way from the well, you know, I, know, I mean, it's, it's because it it is a lot of cheesecake, but it it can get one dimensional to where you think that that's what it's for. We take the way after we make the Creole cream cheese. That's what we use in our stone ground grits. We that's awesome. we use it in so many different savory applications. It's incredible. So we we have created that demand for that for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but roasted garlic whipped Creole cream cheese with apple cider and bacon fat braised greens, um, brown butter, tomato vinaigrette, where we take very, very ripe Creole tomatoes, and we slice them very thin, and we dehydrate them 
just to the point to where they get nice and chewy before they get crispy. And so they just intensify in flavor so much. Um, and then we caramelize those in brown butter and add a little champagne vinegar and lots of herbs to that. Um, and then put up Louisiana fig demi-gloss. We talked about the short fig season this year. So we took great opportunity to preserve a lot of figs so that we can use them all year round. So, so literally, what, what does put up mean when you say put up Louisiana? Preserved. So oh, we, preserved. Yep, oh, yeah. oh, so, oh, you put up when you preserve. Yeah, exactly, yeah. right. You, we okay. put them up on the shelf. Um, Al, you know my cousin Lally. Yeah. So she doesn't eat as healthily as Meg and I do. She sat next well, to me at this she eats very day. healthy. Yeah. She doesn't eat as much aggressive yeah <laughs> anyway she ate every damn thing on uh, that menu and, th- and that was incredibly flattering i mean and i, I, I mean, just i didn't say anything because i didn't want to you know aggravate her or discourage her she ate every damn thing as did every woman at our table well, that's awesome so is this a one-time dish or, or well that's funny you say that so this this menu was written um with Amy and I, um, just things that we wanted to do. And a lot of it is things that we hadn't done before. Um, and so we just created this menu together. We executed this dinner and I, I think it went very, very well, but that's a lot of like where new fun dishes come from. Right. So we did this, we really enjoyed it. Well, you know, next spring, the corn agnolotti might, might find its way on the menu again, because once you've discover these gems that you really enjoy eating, then you want to cook them more often. That very first listing, roasted garlic whipped Creole cream cheese, you, you could stop right there, okay? Right, <laughs> right. Give people some uh, Ritz crackers and say, here, uh-huh. spread this on. This is really going to be good here. You, know? you got that right. Well, that's, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. become a favorite in the kitchen. No, it was sure. an extraordinary meal. And, you know, Meg's right. A lot of great dishes come from occasions. You know, like Commander's certainly, Red Pudding Souffle was the hundred supposed 100th anniversary of Commanders um, with Mom and Paul Prudhomme. Um, it's Oysters Rockefeller. If you, I've studied this, and a lot of great dishes come from occasions. Bananas Foster. My uncle made my mother create something for a lunch for their friend Dick Foster the next day. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's how it happens, you yeah. know, because, and then that's, and then also when you're doing things like this, I mean, you're, you're just having fun. You're being creative. You're trying to, you're showing off a little mm-hmm. bit, you know? And Well, it's one thing that I say about these dinners and People laugh when I say it, and when I say it to our guests, I am trying to get a, a little bit of a laugh, but I don't think they realize how true it is. Um, these dinners are for us, yeah. right? Like, this dinner was for me and Amy. It was for us to get together. You know, we're old friends, and <laughs> invited her to Commanders to, to write this menu together and, and put out this dinner, and it, it is. It's for us. So, you know, when we do dinners like this, it's it's for us to have a good time. Yeah. And we've just invited people right. to join Megan in the company. fun. Megan yeah. Company. We invite a guest in and we highlight them, but we do the dinner together. So, But I'm just talking about the food in general of what she's doing. You know, you asked how she cooked. Well, you can see how she cooks. But, and you know, but it bleeds through to the, to the lunch menu. Like that, the pastata on the lunch menu right mm-hmm. now, the Creole... Tomato salad. Oh, recently the watermelon and tomato uh, tuna, and tuna water- watermelon melon salad. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it just goes on and on. My mouth's watering. I mean, you know, so um, it's exciting. Yeah. Well, we we have an incredible team, and it's and everybody is very excited, and so it's it's easy and it's fun and it's very. Um, Remember this dish? The how do you say it? Yeah. Let me just read. Let's say yeah. that. Really uh-huh. quickly, this tuna and watermelon. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> <clears throat> Gulf bluefin tuna, heirloom tomatoes, and local Mississippi watermelon, 
with crushed briny olives, southern made goat feather vinaigrette, and sun dried tomato pulled rice cracklings. Rice crackling? You, you mean this crispy rice? Like, like, okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. What'd you have for lunch? <laughs> um, I forgot already, okay. <laughs> um, but the, uh, well, let, me, let me point out something to you because I, I think you all need to realize this. Um, this is Errol theory, but it might be, it might be wrong, okay, but still, I'll stand by it anyway. People never knew, except for the real, real insiders, that there was tuna in the Gulf of Mexico. People weren't fishing it. You didn't see it on menus or anything. 30 years ago. Until black and red fish. Okay. <laughs> Could be. All right. Wow. Could be. Yeah. Yeah. And remember when they put the restriction on fishing? So all of a sudden there was a shortage of black and red fish. So then you started seeing fish you never heard of. Right. Amberjack. My favorite, Hake. Okay. M my, my. And then, uh, and then golf tuna. I remember being shocked because I thought tuna was something. Uh, yeah, you, you know, you could be right. So, right. so it's y'all's fault, okay? I okay, think so. Okay. <laughs> Luckily, because we needed to eat all those <laughs> yeah. fish. Yeah. You know, if you haven't had hake, have hake. Okay. And I mean, bluefin tuna. Good lord. Yeah. Yeah. But for whatever you do the rest of your life, please consider the mission to preserve Creole cream cheese. Don't worry. Okay. Yep, it's taken. Yeah, because mm -hmm. that's got it. If ever she comes in and says, you know, we don't want Creole cream cheese anymore, <laughs> just just walk out, okay? okay. I don't think we can stop it now. <laughs> I mean, it's like, the, do you know the first dish we did with it? Ice cream. Okay. Everybody gets that mixed up. Yeah. They think it was a cheesecake, but the first thing we did, there was no Creole cream cheese, and my mother was aggravated about it, and we couldn't find it. No more dairies, and she said, well, we People used to weren't just make it, let's make it. Yeah. So she got our purchaser, Miss Jill, of 500 years, and... Asked her to find it, and she found an old man at Dorgnax who used to make it for Dorgnax, and she got the recipe from him. We started making it, and that saved Creole cream cheese from extinction. I think, I think Dorgnax is the last. I, I don't know if they still make it. But they weren't making it they then. Weren't making it. No yeah. one was making it anywhere at all that you could purchase. Okay. So we had to find a recipe, figure it out, do it ourselves, and then when some of our dishes became popular commanders, then the dairies and stores started making it again. So Dorgnax is really the last place now where people can go to... No, I think you can I mean, get it lots of places a few now. Places. Tons yeah. of places. You can get it occasionally at Rouse's. Rouse's. I mean, lots of places yeah. you can get it now. But for a long time, you couldn't get it anywhere, including Dorignac. So we had to find the old man who had retired and get the recipe from him. And thank goodness we did. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, actually. Yeah. Um, what is, um, I have a question. The, what are the most popular dishes these days? What do people order the most? Hmm. Well, I mean, I'll say this, and then you can continue. I mean, there's only about four things that don't come off the menu, period, end of story. I mean, after Katrina, everybody's like, oh, you're going to have all the same yeah. favorite dishes. I'm like, what are they? You take the test. What are they, Errol? Oh, don't ask. Don't okay. Know. So <laughs> peca peca pecan fish. Okay. Invented at Commanders. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. That's the top-selling dish, okay? Uh, obviously, turtle soup, the only dish that was on the menu I think for 130 years, uh -huh. um, and uh, tasso shrimp pannikin now, and then the rest are uh, well bread pudding bread soup. Pudding but soup. there's a lot of desserts that stay on the menu, and then we sure, have yeah, new yeah. ones all the time. But putting the desserts to the side, everything else, those are the only <laughs> things that don't come off the menu. Mm -hmm. So it's constant. Um, but what do you? Well, I think 
you know, those items do very well and they always will. Yeah. Um, but we get to change everything else so often. So, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's there's no real answer what's to the that. Lunch is it to Tostada or something right now that's been selling? Yeah, Cochandelay yeah. Tostada. Um, we uh, rub down pork shoulders with tons of garlic and crystal hot sauce and our, our house Creole seasoning, and we smoke it for 16 hours to where it just literally falls mm -hmm. apart with house smoked boudin and crispy taco shell and a sweet corn chow chow. It's yeah. delicious. That is not on the <laughs> eat fit uh, no, menu. No, yeah. a lot of times, I mean, in earlier years, people in the city didn't eat like boudin. I mean, that was kind of seen as something like Cajun. Right, yeah. well, exactly, people, yeah. People, and maybe it was, you all that pipe right. Another thing I didn't eat, was um, we didn't eat Cajun food. Well, they didn't eat kosher on their leg. No, mm -hmm. and, and, and that was the jazz fest. Yeah, that was the jazz fest. Agree with that. Agree with that. They put on the map. So if you can kind of you know, embrace all this, there are some things you see on menus. Mark Mark Shu. Yeah. Mark Shu. We, yeah. we revived that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was the Jamie. Yeah. Um, like Wagyu beef. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not saying it's new, but it hasn't always been around. Right. I mean, is that was that some merchant from uh, where they come? Where they come from? From well, originally. Yeah. Well, there's um, there's actually we're hopefully this week going to get some coastal plains Louisiana wagyu and to really? try. Yeah. So um, and that's that's over the last few years been kind of hit or miss. Some you know it's. Oh. Um, so what the what the finds wagyu? Well, it's it's Japanese cows that are. When we have it in the U.S., it is these Japanese cows that have been bred with black Angus beef, and that's what it's a certain cow. But right. in Japan, you know, there's all okay, the yeah, massaging yeah. and all whatever exactly. the hell. Yeah. Kind of, so, yeah. Um, so that we have our own domestic wagyu that is, they've always been breeded with black Angus beef. Once they're here, uh -huh. they're not purebreds like they would have in Japan. Uh -huh. Okay. Um, but but yeah, it's exciting to see that that's happening again in Louisiana, and and like I said, this week we plan to get our hands on some and see how we can support that. Awesome. Because again, it's just like the Creole cream cheese. It's like you you have to find demand for these things, and you have to um, make people aware of them so that more people will be interested in it. Right? Sure. It's you got to eat it to save it. Right? Yeah. I have three questions. All in the category of your favorite, okay? And then I'll let you go out into the world, okay? What are y'all's favorite comfort foods? Not necessarily something you'd find at the restaurant, but like if you were home and watching the Saints game on TV or something, like, like comfort food. Well, while she's thinking out, most of the people in my family, we have this dish that we did at Commander's back in the yeah, 80s. Yeah, you kind of have an unusual family. Yeah, true, <laughs> but, but it, I mean, it's not a fancy dish, and we call mm -hmm. it veal fet. It was mm -hmm. the veal, penne veal and fettuccine. And, I mean, I, it was a Paul dish. And, you know, it's Creole Italian. It's no big deal. Yeah. But if, you know, I'm just needing to kind of, you know, uh, take care of myself or something, if I could have that, I would be the happiest girl around. Yeah. yeah. I have... Um, I think I could probably write a list 20 long yeah. of what those things are, but it's on my mind now because I, I use it. Um, my grandmother used to do lima bean fricassee, and it was it was just braised beef, like stew meat, you know? But she would do a roux and, and fresh lima beans over rice, and it was one of my favorite things in the world, and I still cook field peas like that today. <laughs> and we do it at the restaurant every once in a while. We do it a little fancier than she used yeah. to, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's 
that's always. Uh. Do, do llama beans grow locally or? Well, we actually in Louisiana have a very good mix of field peas, Sorry. obviously soybeans. Um, but yeah, we actually we do. Know, we have pink speckled. We have. I want to know if you know this. So I mean, it was somewhere in the middle of Tori's time as chef at Camaro's, mm -hmm. and I kept going, you know, our number one product in Louisiana is soybeans, and mm -hmm. we all go and eat them at Japanese restaurants. I'm like, why don't we cook with freaking soybeans? Yeah. And I think I just bugged him so much that he finally did it, and I don't know anybody that was doing that. Yeah. Like soybeans? Yeah, yeah, I'm just saying. I've, I've never eaten a soybean. I bet you have. Um, um, I've never knowingly eaten a okay, soybean. Okay, okay. Yeah. If you've had well, a do. bean we thing at Commander's in the last 18... 15 years, yeah. you have. But, I mean, before that, I mean, I was just perplexed. I'm like, why don't we use, they taste great. It's freaking edamame. Edamame. Mm -hmm. okay. That's what I, it is. I'll have that, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> okay. What's your, and this could be a long answer, but if you can kind of, get it, what's your favorite gumbo? My mom's. Mm -hmm. <laughs> which, 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 which would be? She, she makes chicken and smoked sausage gumbo. Okay. And hers is my favorite. Yeah. Yep. Um, what's the one at Mr. B's? The dark roux? Come on. They make it the best. I'll blurt it out in a minute, but it's a dark roux gumbo. It was from the Paul Prudhomme era, um, and you'll know it when I say it. But I, I don't know. I just I crave okay, that. Okay. I crave that. What do you all think about... Gumbo yaya? Yeah, yeah. What do you all think about gumbos that mix seafood and meat? Like shrimp and sausage. Yeah. Well, that's that's yeah. what I call yeah yeah or yeah. country gumbo. Yeah, um, I love it. Really? I think they all it all belongs in the pot together. Yeah. Yep. I mean, chicken and andouille. I mean, you know, this has been going on forever. I, I know, yeah. but does, yeah. the, does the shrimp belong in the presence of andouille? I don't know. I, uh, I think they yeah. can, they can spend some time together in a pot. Think about think about think about your yeah. shrimp and your sausage in a shrimp boil. Yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? Those flavors work. Absolutely. Oyster and duck. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okra or filet? Mm. My grandmother used to do okra gumbo and like no protein, just okra gumbo. And so that, that has a yeah. pretty soft spot in my heart. But I like both. Yeah, me too. Depends on yeah. the time of the year. It's made me pick okra. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like it as it's been in the pot longer and the, in the, in yeah. the, and the okra really gets thick and it's really yeah. good flavor. Oh, yeah. I like that. Okay. Yeah. And your last one, okay. Favorite dessert? Just in life? <laughs> in, in, in life is yeah. fine. It doesn't yeah. have to be at Commander's. Do you know what mine is? You know a lot of things I like, but you might I do. I, well, yeah. well I'm gonna, whatever. What's yours? I'm going to be mad when you say it before I can. Um, it's my favorite dessert. I don't know. It's probably strawberry shortcake. Strawberry shortcake. Mm -hmm. I am good old cup custard. Mm. You did know that. We do it upside up, mm -hmm. we call it. Upside up cup custard sometimes. It's awesome. Really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I like creme brulee a lot. Yeah. But, wow. And my mother, would, she would say, what would she say? <laughs> there better not be any bubbles better in it. Better not be any bubbles. <laughs> better yeah. not be any bubbles. Well, before we move on, I, I just want to straighten out the story about Bananas Foster. Because you would mentioned a while ago, it was, I had heard that it was in... Created at Brennan's. It was, just not Brennan's on Royal Street. Okay, the original Brennan's. Brennan's Vieux Carré. Yeah. Because Uncle Owen was still alive, and okay. he was dead before Brennan's on Royal Street uh, uh, okay. opened. Okay. And it was Mr. Foster who owned Foster Owning, I yeah. or something. And apparently, 
ice cream and bananas seem like a natural, okay? I, yeah. I, I mean, and so I, I guess there was addition, and then she got... No, well, that, mom's mother used to do sautéed bananas, scrambled eggs and sautéed bananas would be my mother's favorite meal, which uh, my aunt used to uh, make for her right up until her last, you know, times. But um, so mom was very young, working at the restaurant, and Uncle Owen said, Ella, we're having a lunch to honor Dick Foster. He's a head of the... Vice Commission, which means he thinks he's the head of Vice. Anyway, mm-hmm. and we're honoring him tomorrow, uh, do dessert. And she said, I don't have time for that, Owen. I have to hire this person and do the inventory or whatever. And he said, do a dessert for tomorrow. Anyway, she's furious. She storms out. She walks in the restaurant. And she's got a captain with her. And they go in the kitchen. And what do we have a lot of in New Orleans back then, particularly with bananas? Because, you mm-hmm. know, we were the main port. Oh, yeah, yeah. Freaking bananas everywhere. She's like, well, yeah. get some bananas. Let's just go saute them. We'll do it like Mama does. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, they were always jealous of Antoine's because, mm-hmm. you know, dinner and Antoine's, you know, and it was so it's good. And the deal, book was yeah. a big deal and the restaurant was good. And she says, well, let's flame it like they flame it around the corner. You know, let's flame, you know, and then, well, let's add this and let's put the spark, you know, so they just boom, boom, boom. We're trying to do something real quick because yeah. she was in a hurry. <laughs> yeah. And so, but I mean, the that flavors are just magnificent yeah. together, right? Yeah. So that's what happened. But like I'm saying, it's frequently an occasion that a great deal. I mean, that dessert you can see all over the world, which I'm telling you, I'm on a mission to make Tequila Mockingbird as famous as Bananas Foster. So I want you to try that, our new cocktail mixer, and tell me what you think. Okay. <laughs> it won't be long before I try it either. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Well, thank you all very much for, for visiting. Thanks for what you're doing to New Orleans cuisine. Uh, thanks for keeping a great legacy alive. Uh, thanks to Creole cream cheese. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep it alive, but we, yeah. didn't, okay. we didn't do that. We love being with you, always. Oh, thank Thank you you very much. Yes, it was fun. Thanks for listening to Louisiana Insider. Subscribe, like, and rate our show where you listen to your podcasts and follow us on social media at Louisiana Life Mag. Executive producer for Louisiana Insider is Kelly Massico in cooperation with Louisiana Life Magazine. For subscription information to Louisiana Life, call 504-828-1380. Our theme music was provided by Rich Collins. Hey, that's me. Join us again next week for more discoveries inside Louisiana.